um, <clears throat> it's a blessing to have you all as always. Amen. It's a it's a delight. It's a joy that we can uh, join together and participate in this uh, corporate time of prayer. Amen. Um, the Bible says in Psalm one thirty three how good and pleasant it is that God's people dwell together in unity. Amen. Um, in the world, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of distress. There's a lot of uh, tribulations, right? But uh, the the house of the Lord is a safe haven. Um, it is a place of refuge. It's a place of delight. It's a place of joy. It's a place of uh, peace and protection. And uh, so... Uh, with that said, I want to uh, do this quickly and uh, turn to the book of Acts. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I hope that song blessed you, by the way. It's uh, it's one of my favorite songs. Um, it's Jason Upton. It's called Never Alone. And um, I ho hopefully you were able to hear it well. Um, there's a period of the song where uh, it's really based off Dr. Martin Luther King's life. And there was a period of time where, uh, as he was, by the way, he was a believer. <clears throat> uh, a lot of uh, liberals don't really like to point that out. Um, but he was a believer in the Lord. Uh, in fact, he was a preacher as well. Where, <laughs> where do you think he got his great orator oratorical abilities from? And it is his uh, amazing speeches. Um you know, he uh, was one very powerful speaker. Uh, and uh, But nevertheless, th there was a period of time in his life where uh, he was uh, leading these civil rights movements. Um, and um, he got a call one night, and basically they said that they were going to kill him if he didn't stop preaching what he was preaching. Um, and they hung up the phone and... You know, and as the story goes, it says that he uh, says, you know, Lord, I've been preaching justice. I've been preaching righteousness. I've been preaching your name. He says, but I don't think you I've ever heard you say my name. And then he called to the name of the Lord and uh, he heard his father uh, say his name. And uh, I think that is a very insightful thing to consider. Hey, I've been hearing God's. I've been saying God's name for so long, and I don't think I've ever heard my father say my name. Um, but nevertheless, <clears throat> I want to quickly turn to the book of Acts and um, chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he when he saw that this uh, met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. You know, r real quickly, I just want to stop there. One of the things that I appreciate about the Bible um, is... Its ability to communicate to us the things that 
not only have happened in the past in history <clears throat> but also informs us what will continue to take place today um, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes nothing is new under the sun that which has been done is that which shall be done right there's no new thing under the sun is what the text says now uh, I say that because in a day where there's so many so much conspiracy theory um, and and by the way um, conspiracy theory doesn't mean that it's false um, it, it's it's uh, comprised of two words uh, conspiracy that is to say conspire right and a uh, theory and now a theory um, may be a very good theory a very likely theory right and and it's basically something that isn't as concrete as say one plus one equaling two right a theory doesn't mean that it's not likely it doesn't mean that it's not plausible it just for all intents and purposes it exists merely as a theory because there isn't this cold hard evidence undeniable evidence right um but with that said uh there's a lot of conspiracy theory today hey you know they're conspiring against us they're they're seeking to do this they're seeking to do that against the populace against the you know uh, the masses and so on and so forth and in a world of so much uncertainty i can be sure that based on the text that the so-called conspiracy theories about child sacrifice and all these rituals really are not uh, uh, just fabricated stories. They're not just make-believe. I see that it has occurred in ancient times, right? And the the Bible tells me that there is certainly a, a, a promise, not a promise, but it, it assures us that what has been done is what will continue to take place, Right? Um, and so it doesn't have to exist merely in the realm of theory. We know from the word of God that in high places with amongst those who are kings, that they, uh, seek to persecute the church. They seek to murder the, uh, especially male children. They want to, uh, you know, we see in the book of Kings that there were, uh, male shrine prostitutes. Uh, in high places. So is it any wonder that they're allowing drag queens in the White House? Do you understand? Do you see that? So um, the word of the Lord is our anchor and our compass for truth. And it lets us know that, hey, you know, there's there's people, namely Herod, Herod in this context, is is seeking to please the people. So a lot of those politicians, they're very Machiavellian. They're, they're only, uh, uh, they only want to make moves that advance their political agenda, that advances uh, you know, for the, the people to please them, uh, for, for the people to be pleased by them. Do you see that? So he's arresting Peter in order to please the Jewish people, right? And I'm sure this had some sort of political advantage for him, right? Um and this is why, you know, we, we are not to be people pleasers. Amen. Uh, we, we are to please uh, the Lord. We are to please God. We, we aren't to uh, circle our lives around the fear of man. See, when, when you 
when people seek to primarily please people, they have a fear of man, right? Because they don't want to be shunned. They don't want to be uh, uh, cast out. They don't want to be rejected. And truth be told, no human being wants to be any of that. Um, so fear, uh, so the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that you, you, you're not concerned about what may happen to you or that it, you're just this stoic that doesn't have feelings about uh, what you may experience, but it just says that despite whatever may come, I fear the Lord more and the consequences that may come as a result of me not obeying God. I fear the consequences of not pleasing my father more than I fear the consequences of not pleasing you. Right? Or whatever the devil may bring because of my disobedience to him enrages him. Like I said before, to hell with you and your bo uh, the devil's boyfriend. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> Well, I mean, the devil's gay, right? Why is he Why is he inhabiting certain people to go have sex with other men? And vice versa. See, he's gay. It, you know, and, and is it any marvel that his, the, the, the brood of vipers that, that spring from him are also taking after their own father? Right? Amen. He's everything in between. He's cisgender, he's non-binary, he's the father of it all. But it says, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You know, the interesting thing here is Herod is, um, you know, he's wanting to please the Jews. He doesn't care about Passover. But he's only doing, he, he's only, see, they, he didn't want to bring them out for, Peter out for trial, right? Because they had to observe the Passover. So he's like, you know, let me do my religious duties first. And then uh, we'll, we'll take Peter out uh, later to please the Jews. See that, you know, I, I I don't know if you've seen uh, what I posted on my stories. Some uh, lady had the audacity to call me a Pharisee. And, you know, I responded. I said, that's interesting. I don't, I didn't know that a Mexican American, modern Mexican American Gentile can uh, qualify to be called, uh, to be called as, as one of the sect of the Pharisees that had since been extinct since 70 AD. Um, now, I understand that there's a Pharisaical spirit within people, but my point, though, was this. You know, the Pharisees <coughs> are not those who stand for righteousness. I don't know why this has become a popular statement today in Christendom. Just because someone stand, so because I object to a warlock who still does crystals, who approves of homosexuality, who says that you don't have to be a participant of the church, 
who says there's more than one way to God, because and this is still persisted over after a year, right? There's there's fruit that indicates this man is false, even though he claimed to meet Jesus, even though he claimed to exit the satanic church. Now all of a sudden, someone like myself that stands for righteousness, I'm a Pharisee. See, don't allow people to, to uh, uh, back you into a corner to try to intimidate you with their words, even with their religious lingo, right? Because you fear the Lord. You actually believe this text. You actually, uh, you take Jesus's word seriously to beware of false prophets. How can you beware if you're not first aware? But see, what they're wanting to do is veil us, put a blindfold of our eyes and say, no, you can't be aware of this. Nope. Nope. Who are you to judge? And I, you know, I respond back, who are you to judge me judging? It's self-defeating. You understand that? So don't, don't allow people to, you know, hijack your confidence in the stance that you make against unrighteousness. Right? See, Pharisees are people who have no regard of the Lord. They're more political than they are biblical. So you'll be like Herod, who just observes the Passover because you want to please Jewish people, but you really don't care about Passover. You really care about putting to death the Lord's messengers. Right? See, see at the heart, Pharisees are anti-Christ. They're antichrist in the spirit. They oppose, they oppose the true Christ, and they oppose, in this case, men like Peter who are a Christ. Now, don't let that flip you out. When I say a Christ, I don't mean the definite article Christ. I mean a Christ in the sense that Christos, which is the Greek word for Christ, means anointing or anointed one. And since those who carry the gospel are anointed ones, is it any wonder, therefore, that Pharisees or people who carry that same Antichrist spirit seek to put to death the messengers of the Lord? Right? Amen. <clears throat> so, but nevertheless, verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Right? So, you know, uh, they, they didn't sink down to despair. They didn't throw up their hands and say, oh man, I guess, you know, hey, uh, those people in politics, uh, they have a lot of power. You know, King Herod has a lot of power. You know, there's nothing we can do about it at this point. Right. And did they throw up their hands and say, you know, we just we we despair. We're not going to do anything. All hope is lost. Do you say that? No, he didn't say that. The church didn't say that. Their their solution to the imprisonment of Peter was to pray earnestly for Peter. Do you see that? You know, <clears throat> I want to encourage you to do something. Because this, this, this is what I do. 
If you ever see a video on human trafficking, someone just recently got trafficked, or you see a video of a little girl get uh, snatched away and they were not retrieved, you pray earnestly to God in that moment and say, God, expose these wicked men. God set this poor girl free. Lord, may deliverance come immediately. I call down brimstone upon these wicked advocates of Satan. And may they be exposed tonight in Jesus' name. May salvation come swiftly. May deliverance come speedily. O oh God of all the earth, do right. Stretch out your mighty hand in Jesus' name and execute vengeance. Execute justice. And may, their, may the adversaries of the Lord perish. You know why? Because God at that moment is hearing. Begin to pray, Lord, dispatch angels. Dispatch angels in Jesus' name. Expose all works of darkness. Your prayers are efficacious. They affect things in the realm of the spirit. Amen. First spiritual, the Bible says, then natural. First comes the spirit, then comes the natural. Everything begins in the platform in the realm of the spirit. So when prayers are offered up on earth, heaven begins to actualize that what has been petitioned Amen. on earth. You know, there's a passage in the book of Revelation when all of heaven was silent. See, when all of heaven is silent, there's danger on earth because no prayers are heard in heaven. And it isn't until you begin to petition before the Lord that the angel takes that the in, and the incense, which are the prayers of the Lord's people, right? And puts them upon the altar. And we see in the book of Revelation, when they were put upon the altar, then the, the angel of the Lord was then uh, uh, of service to God, and he began to pour out uh, uh, vials on the earth. Right? Judgments and woes. Do you see that? So... <clears throat> never and this is something you're going to have to continue to tell yourself in fact let, let us go there real quickly I just want to demonstrate this to you all um, it's Revelation chapter 8 I believe yes it's Revelation chapter 8 <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Uh, so, Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. <clears throat> so what, what, what is happening? God is coming. 
how can I say that? Look in First Kings. What happened? Uh, was it First or Second Kings? When Elijah was in the cave, what happened? There was an earthquake. What happened when in the book of Acts where it says, and then they prayed and the place together was shaken. See, the, 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 when the, these are physical manifestations of the presence of God. And so the Lord is responding Amen. to the prayers of the saints in the book of Revelation, right? He's responding to, to the prayers of the Lord's people. Now, one of the things I love about this here passage is it gives us an insight into what heaven is like. You know what it's like in heaven? There's an altar in heaven. Right? There's an altar. There never has ceased to be an altar. Just because there is no earthly tabernacle today doesn't suggest that there is no altar. Insofar as there remains a prayer there remains an altar and that altar that golden altar which if you look in the uh, the book of the law it says is most holy unto god it adds the adjective most right it's not just holy it's most holy unto the lord and it's right before the throne of the of the lord right what is the throne it's the mercy seat what was it what was there in the tabernacle and as well as the temple there was the mercy seat and the golden altar of incense stood before the mercy seat. And the high priest would come and offer the incense on the golden altar. And it, it was that hour which was the hour of prayer which the people began to pray. And it was commonly believed at that time that the prayers were, that the smoke from that altar would envelop the petitions of the Lord people, of the Lord's people and ascend to the mercy seat. And God would thereby hear it. So we see a, a, a reality in heaven. So when the Bible says in Hebrews, Come therefore boldly to the throne of grace. What is it asking us to do? It's asking us to petition before the Lord. Right? Before that mercy seat. So that God can actualize on earth his intents and purposes for earth. <coughs> Does that make sense? But, but the unfortunate reality is that by and large people don't like going into the tabernacle anymore. They don't like going into the temple set out from the world unseen by men. We, by and large people want to be seen by men. Right? I like what Ian Bounds says. We need to be uh, more passionate about telling God about men than telling men about God. Be passionate about both, certainly. But everything begins as an overflow of our intimacy with God. But going back to Acts chapter 12, <clears throat> they begin to pray, right? Earnestly. Um, <clears throat> see, let, let, let me add this real quickly. This is, this is the reason why so many people blame God. Is because, really, they weren't praying as they ought to have. 
They weren't praying as they should have been praying. See, God does nothing except by the prayers of his people. If God did things despite the prayers of his peoples, with or without it, then prayer would utterly be useless. The Bible doesn't say for no reason in James, you have not because you ask not. The Bible in James does not say you have not because you ask not, but hey, I was just joking, you'll have it anyways. It doesn't say that. It says you have not because you ask not. So that means that God didn't bring something to you and the, the reason for failure is yourself and not the Lord. So, but today Calvinism has taught us that God is so, in, you know, by the way, there's no verse in the Bible, in all of the Bible that says God is in control. Did you know that? It says he rules. But I know modern rulers today that are ruling, but they're not controlling. God doesn't control every microorganism on, he doesn't control everything. This is why they're still evil. If God controlled evil, from whence comes evil? God does no evil. God doesn't do evil, nor can he be tempted by it, it says in James. Right? But the first evil thing that happens, what do people do? They blame God. So you, people are utterly discounting the free agency of the devil and demons. And the free agency of men. Right? Can God overturn wickedness? Yes. But God is not controlling everything on earth. And, and, <coughs> but nevertheless, uh, if you see here, they were praying earnestly for Peter. And it says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel of the Lord said, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told them, uh, Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of, this, of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Um, aren't you grateful for the fact that the Bible says that the angels, right, are in... Um, Assist those who inherit salvation. What does it say in Psalms? That the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear God. Right? What does it say in Hebrews? That angels are flaming spirits. So uh, let, let me quickly show you real quick in Hebrews uh, chapter 1.
Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Okay? That's verse 7. Y'all following? Uh, I'm, I'm leading somewhere with this. <coughs> um, and then if you also look at um, verse 14, or verse 13, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So what do we see? That they are ministering spirits or the, or their winds. Remember I've, I've taught you in the Greek, the word pneuma means spirit, wind, or breath. Right? So the, 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 they are moving swift as the wind. Because they are spirits. And verse 7 tells us that they are flames of fire. See, in Acts chapter 2, when they were praying, and what cloven tongues of fire sat upon each of them, angels were present. Uh, this is why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that you have not come unto Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion, the uh, uh, you know it says the company of innumerable angels so when we by the spirit acclimate the presence of god we are in effect in the company of innumerable angels does that make sense and i want to i want to show you something also now now notice though the bible says that they service those who will inherit salvation. He, they don't service those who are not heirs of salvation. So they are to, they're here to serve you. Uh, I, I want to, and let me get through this quickly here, but uh, I want to just show you these uh, uh, passages so you have a robust understanding regarding this. Uh Let's see. <clears throat> if you look in, um, hold on, let's see. Um, I believe it. It's Luke. I believe it's Luke 22. You know, we'll, we'll skip that passage. I'll just quote it for you. The Bible, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. And it says, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. See, see, even if your brother and your sister is not present to help you you not only have the assistance of the holy spirit there are angels who are also there to assist you now sometimes they manifest you know uh, uh in the you know physically hold on in luke in the garden it says that you know the angels ministered to jesus all right the angels ministered unto Jesus. 
And um, in addition to that, let me show you one other passage. Um, and the, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing up the angels is because it will help to Im- it will help us to pray for certain things that we may not have prayed for in the past. Um, um, uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Uh, look at what it says here. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So what did Jesus say? That it is a potential that Jesus had to petition before the father. In other words, to pray for the dispensing of 12 legions of angels. Well, we know that an angel, (coughs) well, a legion, now some argue, you know, the exact number, but it's it's around, you know, 5,000 to 8,000 soldiers. That was a Roman term. And depending on what source you look up, it might say one or the other, more or less. But it certainly is, was no less than 5,000. So you do that math. Jesus, Jesus was able to call on the Father to dispatch angels to service Him, right? They are to serve those who will inherit salvation. Angels are in the deliverance ministry as well. This is what we see in Acts, right? When the angel delivered Peter from prison. Do you see that? No. But today we have, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, especially among uh, modern evangelical churches, we don't know what to do with the angel part. It's like, yeah, we believe in them, but we don't really know what they, you know, we don't really believe in them, though. We don't believe in praying to God to send forth angels to serve us. We don't believe in praying to the Lord uh, to to dispatch angels to war on our behalf. Right? Look in the Old Testament. In the days of Sennacherib, the Lord, if I'm not mistaken, he sent forth one angel. And that angel destroyed, I believe, anywhere from 120 to 140,000 men. That is what one angel did. How much more 12 legions of angels? Amen. So there is no lacking power on the part of the Lord, right? Let let me um let let me let me show you that it's biblical to pray this way. Bear with me. Uh, Psalm 35, verse 6. Look up Psalm 35, verse 6. 
What does it say? <clears throat> this is David's prayer, by the way, against his enemies. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. You want to read that again? Psalm 35, verse 6. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Amen. So, well, number one, is this a prayer? Yes. And so what is the content of that petition? Send forth angels against them. Right? So they, they are to fight on our behalf. They are to deliver us. Right? They are also to strengthen us, as we see in uh, Luke's gospel, uh, when Jesus was in agony. This is why, you know, sometimes, especially when there is, you know, an immense heat that comes upon you, like very, very, very hot, well, angels are ministering spirits that are flames of fire. Amen. And you might feel that fire on your head and all over your body. Well, the cloven tongues are fire resting upon you. So, um, does, it, does this make sense? <coughs> Amen. So now returning back to Acts chapter 12, we see that the angel of the Lord, right, delivered Peter. We also see this in Acts, right? Where, you know, the angel, the, the, Paul was praying to God because it says for many days they were on the, uh, you know, at sea and all hope uh, for, um, for deliverance was lost. They, they, didn't, they didn't think they were going to see themselves out of this situation. Right? But Paul, an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul and uh, 200 and something men were spared on the account of Paul's prayers and their obedience to the word. He says, look, you got to throw off this cargo and all this stuff. If you do that, all of our lives will be spared. None of us will perish. Amen? So now let us close. Um, Amen. Verse 11, Then Peter came to himself and says, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So we see that God thwarted, had negated, had turned over the plans of Herod and all of the people by dispatching an angel. Let, let, me, let me show you one other verse. It, it's in Psalm 103. I, I want to show you this uh, revelation. Is, remember as I was saying earlier that God does nothing except by the prayers of his people. And th what makes prayer so powerful is prayer is predicated upon the promises of God. And the promises of God are the word of God. So our prayers are no stronger than the promises that are made available to us in the word of the Lord. We're essentially praying the word of the Lord back to God, right? We're asking that God's will would be done, not ours. That he would accomplish his good pleasure and his good will in all of the earth. Look at Psalm 103. <clears throat> Look at what it says here. It says, uh... A verse 
uh, 20. Well, let's begin at verse 19. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. So what do the angels of the Lord do? They do the Lord's bidding. They obey his word. But see, God doesn't send forth his word until we begin to pray. See, people, look, for, let, me, let me explain how. Who here on earth, right? So is God speaking in physical form to everybody? Hey, you down there. No, he's, he's not doing that. See, when, when God speaks through his messengers, that's how he speaks. So this is why, for example, you know, Peter, right? Uh, he told Ananias and Sapphira, he says, you're going to drop down dead. Did they drop down dead before the word was sent forth or did they drop down after the word was sent forth? The Bible says in uh, in Chronicles, it says the Lord does nothing except by revealing to it, uh, before revealing it to his servants, the prophets. So God does nothing on earth until he first reveals it to his prophets. The prophets then prophesy it. They send forth the word. Then the word, it, 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 it comes to life. It then is fulfilled, right? So the angels of the Lord... Do the bidding of God, but God sends forth his plans to the prophets and those prophets, right? They prophesy, they speak forth the word of the Lord and the angels do the bidding of that word that was revealed to them. And this is why the angel of the Lord didn't even come to rescue Peter until the church first began praying, right? They, they, they were praying the word of the Lord. They were praying predicated upon the promises of God to deliver his people, to rescue his people, right? So we, in other words, the angels are going to sit idle until we start declaring the word of the Lord over our situation, until we begin praying the word of the Lord over our situation. They will remain idle and bored in heaven until we begin to uh, start Becoming active in the kingdom, right? <clears throat> Does that make sense? So they, they do the Lord's bidding. They do the Lord's will. They do the Lord's word. But, but who has been called to pray forth the will of the Lord on earth? We have. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So, we have to uh, did the angel of the Lord pursue his enemies uh, before David prayed for the angel of the Lord to pursue his enemies? No. He said in Psalm 35 verse 6, may the angel of the Lord pursue my enemies and had therefore after that pursued his enemies. Right? And so I, I wanted to educate us, and I'm closing now, <coughs> uh, regarding another facet of our praying, right? 
that the Lord would dispatch angels to serve those who are to be heirs of salvation. Amen. <clears throat> we're not praying to angels. We're praying to God to dispatch angels. Right? Because even in the book of Revelation, when when uh, John had bowed down to worship uh, the angel, he says, hey, no, don't do that. I, I'm a servant just like you. <clears throat> so we're not advocating for angelic worship. Far from that. That itself is idolatry. Um. We worship God alone. But these angels are to serve us in some capacity. They're not obsolete. And just because you may not have seen one physically doesn't negate the fact that they're very active. Right? So as we come to a close, I want us to be aware of, of this uh, facet of praying. Especially, you know, in times of war, in times, uh, you know, where, you know, people are persecuting the, the, the church, when there are enemies persecuting the church of God, we pray in this fashion, right? For the angels of the Lord to pursue our adversaries. Amen. And for the angels of the Lord to rescue the people of God. And that the angels of the Lord would even go so far as strengthen us in our hour of agony. Amen. That's what they did in, for Jesus in the garden. Amen. <clears throat> you know, I, I like this statement, and it's that everyone's a Christian until it gets biblical. Well, I like to modify it a little bit, and everyone's a Christian until it tampers with their theology. The Bible just says what it says. And I'm prepared to believe the Bible. If angels are there, then angels are there. Let's not act like they're obsolete. Yeah. Right? Um, <clears throat> even if that might require that we learn a little bit and practice, okay, I never, I've never included that aspect of praying in, in, my, in my time of prayer. But I see it there in the Word. I see it very clearly as day. Okay, you know. It doesn't mean that we should become obsessed with it because there's there's people that are so obsessed with demonology, you know, that all they speak about are demons. And the same is true. There are some people that fantasize, like every time they go before the Lord, they're thinking about, oh, you know, I want to see angels. I want to see angels. I want to be fed angels bread and all this other stuff. You know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to see angels, but one way or the other, we're not to be obsessed with anything else except God himself. Right. 